Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julie Ann Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont mystery series, cupcake enthusiast and part-time library book wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, dancer and homeschooling mum who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Hi, Pamela, and welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens for our 62nd episode. Hello. Hello, everyone. What's been happening, Pamela? Um, well, it's... Groundhog Day here in lockdown town, Julie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Groundhog Day. <laughs> I don't know why, but it, I seem to have less time doing things than ever, um, even though we can't go anywhere. And it yes. just feels like the same things day after day. Um, homeschooling, managing, refereeing, entertaining, cooking <laughs> for yeah. and with two very, very bored boys. Um, actually, it's it's one of them that's very bored and the other one, is in his element. Um, yeah, so I seriously don't know where the time goes and I don't have much energy to do much else. And I think that's kind of the, the general feeling here in Melbourne at the moment. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, but uh, on the upside, we managed to fix our broken trampoline, so that's something. We've had oh. a, bit of a taste of spring and then we've had the boys out there on the trampoline annoying the neighbours. Um, sorry, neighbours. Your um, trampoline's amazing. I, I, yeah. I'm a bit jealous of that. It's pretty big. It's we amazing. We, we knew we I need sleep one. out there. <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't actually. Yeah. Does <laughs> Eleanor do that? In like spring, we get out there with the dunas and the and the pillows and just have a a relaxer vu. We call it. Oh, that sounds good. I think that the mozzies would drive us nuts. Yeah, wild, yeah. But um, usually. yeah. And um, we have kind of, we have neighbours. With these apartments that kind of overlook our backyard. <laughs> oh, I hate that. We're one of those. We we overlook other people's backyards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but um, they get it. They get out there and they um, they play these fantasy games and they just go on and on and on. Oh, I bet. Not very loud, but you know, if other yeah. people are enjoying their gardens, well, yeah. But anyway, it gives me a break. So you know. So um, how about you, Julie? How's it going for you? Oh, this week has been the equivalent of an endless night shift. Boy Wizard has been waking at 1.30 almost every night and beginning his day. So now I'm starting to resemble the Egyptian mummy of Pamela Rushby's book that I previously reviewed in the last episode. So thanks, Henry, for that. <laughs> Boy. Oh, I don't know how you do it. I think, yeah, we're going to see a sleep specialist this week. So, apart from that, we've been surviving lockdown with a steady mix of homemade sushi, which we're getting quite good at, um, and gluten-free cupcakes. Um, not a single word has been written, which, funnily, I didn't get to tell you this. I've had a few people message me and ask me with quite concern about me quitting writing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's very sweet. But honestly, take no notice of my declarations. 
dear listeners, because um, if Pamela and our writing mentor group had a dollar for every time I told them I was quitting writing, they'd be quite wealthy. So <laughs> it's really just drama, business as usual at the Grasso Books household. So, yeah, I'm not really quitting, but I am, if you know uh, what I mean. Temporarily quitting. And if, if um, we didn't talk about this last episode, but um, in between the two episodes – we put up a freebie download on our website and oh, yes. uh, social media, which is uh, which is about what to do um, when you get a rejection or you know crickets from a publisher. And one of the things that we put in there was quit writing. Yes, <laughs> because it feels so good to just say, okay, I quit. Yep. I'm just I'm done. I'm not going to think about it for you know forever or for yep. a while. And um, it really, it actually really helps because at some point you just become ready and inspired again and you yeah. go back into it. Um, That's right. It's, it's really powerful. It's completely okay to yeah. leave it behind. That's right. And we've both done it a few times. <laughs> yeah. times, haven't we? Multiple times. Yeah. Yep. Feels good. <laughs> anyway, if, uh, if you're listening and you are a writer or an illustrator, um, yeah, just – have a look at our website under freebies and you'll find our little um, little PDF download there and be on the lookout for some more. But um, you never fear, we, we, we may quit, but we're still yep. here. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we better talk about some books. Tell us, yes. Pamela, what is the title of today's book? Oh, well, I'm, I'm being sensible today and I'm reviewing just the one book. <laughs> yes. And it's The Lost Soul Atlas by Zaina Fryon and I'm a I apologise up front if I am not pronouncing your name correctly, Zaina, but I will know very shortly because I will be interviewing her. <laughs> Yay. Just a day too late. Yes. <laughs> and would you share the jacket blurb with us? Yeah. Loyalty is tested and a cruel twist of fate leads to an act of ultimate betrayal in this epic story that spans a city, a decade, and the divide between life and death itself. Twig is all alone after his dad goes missing, but when he meets Flea, a cheerful pickpocket, the pair become fast friends. Together, Twig and Flea raise themselves on the crime-ridden streets, taking what they need and giving the rest to the even poorer. Life is good, as long as they have each other. But then, Twig wakes up in the afterlife, with just a handful of vague memories, a key, a raven, and a mysterious atlas to guide him, he tries to piece together what happened and to find his way home. Oh, this sounds amazing. And yes. what genre would you class this as? Uh, it, it's part fantasy, part dystopian, I guess, with a sprinkling of magic and a healthy dose of real world. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that is a made-up genre. <laughs> made up Definitely. Genre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what is the estimated word count? Uh, I think it's upwards of about 75K. It's fairly long, but it's uh, it's also, and I'll talk about this later, it's also upper middle grade. So, yeah, yep. sure. So tell us about it. Okay, so Twig, a young hero, dies on the first page of the book and is plunged into the afterlife. On arrival in the afterlife, souls are expected to give up their memories to the greedy gods, but Twig isn't ready to do so. And when he finds out that his dad is, is there, having lost him a few years back, Twig realises he needs to, ta to take up a mission of a few brave souls who came before him. 
to use the lost soul atlas to bring back the memories to those in the afterlife and to allow them to whisper to those still living. If he succeeds in his task, the gods will no longer be able to hoard the souls of the dead and he and Twig might just find his dad. With the help of a skeletal raven as his guardian, he uses the atlas to find the crossings, the thin places between this world and the afterlife, and then wades through the murk of his own memories to restore the crossings one by one, because they must all be restored to take back the memories from the gods once and for all. It is through these flashbacks, these memories, that we learn of Twig's life, how he lost his dad and joined the Beasts of the City Wilds, who are the group of children surviving on the streets that he joins as well as his friendship with his closest friend, Flea, and how he ended up in the afterlife, facing a heart-rending choice. Oh, sounds amazing. Yeah, I think I've said that twice now, but it does really sound amazing. <laughs> it does, and it's quite funny because um, reading the jacket blurb that, you know, that I had printed, um, it sounds like almost a different book from the description I gave, but you know, it's because they've got these two threads going. So it's almost two yeah. different stories in one. So, yeah. Oh, good. And what was your overall enjoyment? Okay. Um, hands down, this is my middle grade book of the year so far. Uh, I reckon I, we can say that in August. I think so. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yep. Yeah, we're in August. <laughs> yeah, yes. My favorite, like, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It's beautifully complex and thought-provoking, but not overly heavy. Um, I'd not read any of Zaina Fryon's books before, but I know her YA book, The Bone Sparrow, won a lot of awards, and I certainly had to reshelve it a lot when I was working in a school library. And I'm certain that this book is destined to repeat that success. It's a gorgeous melding of character, place, fantasy, heart, darkness, and light. And yes, there is darkness. There's poverty and homelessness, street crime and death, but it's it's handled gently and offset with friendship and beauty and hope and humour. And I love how Zayna portrayed the gods. They're quite hilarious. They're bumbling, inept, and out of touch with anybody but themselves. Yep. Um, so that provides, you know, part of the humour in there. I also love how she crafted a rich and interesting afterlife, you know, nothing that I've ever read before. Um, and Twig's guardian, the raven, so much symbolism there, having a raven. <laughs> yes. Um, he was, was so, that character was so full of just charm and spunk. And at the heart of it all is Twig's friendship with Flea on the one hand and his relationship with his dad on the other. It's a bittersweet story told very skillfully. And, yes, there were tears, but um, not too much sorrow. So, yeah, top of my list for sure. Wow. I wonder if we can beat that in the next four months. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's some books I'm looking forward to coming out, so we'll see. I mean, I've read some very, very nice books this year, don't get me wrong, but, yeah. um, you know, and this is literary, and I may just be a little bit of a literary snob um, through no particular endeavour, you know, or yeah. effort, but, um, yeah, it just captured me in in a way that no book has caught, captured me so far this year, or for quite a while, anyway. Yay. And who will love this book? What age would you recommend it for? Yeah, so this sits right up there at the top end of middle grade, probably 10 or 11 and up. Um, I mentioned that it has a touch of darkness, but aside from that, the language and storytelling is fairly complex. It hops between two different narrative points of view. So the perspective is always tweaks, but the scenes in the afterlife are told from a third-person point of view. 
and the memories are told from a first-person point of view, alternating between them. So it's a really novel way of doing things and worked really well for the story. But I think, um, you know, I think it's for more able readers, you know, more sort of experienced readers to be able to follow and keep up with the story and just um, know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting point of view, like two points of view. Yeah, very creative. perspectives, yeah. I mean, I think... um, you know, I've I've had discussions with authors before about um, how do you separate the present from past, from memories or from, yeah, your flashbacks. Um, and, you know, some people do it by the date and some people do it by um, a different character point of view. Um, so this is, this is a new way that I haven't come across yet. And you know, at first it's a little bit confusing, but after a while I kind of got into it. and Into you know, the rhythm, yeah. Yeah, you know what's going on. Um, and, you know, you're always, always seeing everything from Twig's point of view, um, which which helps in such a rich, complex uh, story. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, really, really creative and just, just all over creative. Um, you Beautiful. Know, quite different for, you know, you've, you read books that are fantasy and you read books about, you know, I think Magnus Chase in the, on the first page, the character dies, and then they're in the afterlife, and then it's kind of the Norse mythology. But um, yeah, this is sort of a similar thing, but done in a very different way. So yeah, beautiful, Good. fantastic. Yeah. So I know you've got a couple of books for us tonight, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a few. A few. Okay. A few is more than a couple. Right. Yes. So tell us what's your first book. Uh, the first is The Inkberg Enigma by Jonathan King, published by Gecko Press on August 4, 2020. Oh, August 4. That's yeah. Out. It's out. Oh, oh it's out? like 16 today. <laughs> yeah, because I went to order it and it wasn't out yet because I want this. Well, <laughs> well I think I it's, an, it's a New Zealand press, so perhaps it's taking a little longer to get across the you know waters oh okay maybe okay and this is a graphic novel isn't it yes um yeah i i'm gonna be getting this for mr nine anyway could you share that please sure mira and zia live in aurora a fishing town nestled in the shadow of a mysterious castle miro lives in the world of books zia is never without her camera the day they meet, they stumble on a secret. With Zia determined to discover more, a reluctant Miro is pulled into a real-life adventure. The Inkberg Enigma is an exciting adventure with a strong filmic narrative. Oh, filmic. Mm. Filmic. Okay. Very. It is very filmic. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what genre, I mean, it's kind of obvious, but what genre would you class it as? <laughs> Yes, this is a middle grade graphic novel set in a seaside town with a dash of magical realism. That's fantastic. I know you love your seaside. I do love seaside (laughs) town. And you love your magical realism. I love a good shanty (laughs) in a magical (laughs) realism. Um, yeah, my Mr. Nine has just finished Malamander and Gargantus. Um, Oh, loved it. So I think he's going to really, really like this. Yes. Um, Given as a graphic novel, I know that the word count would be pretty hard to figure out. Did you manage it? Oh, gosh. I just <laughs> guesstimated 10,000 words. Okay. It could be more. Could okay. be less. 
<laughs> who knows graphic novels are, are like another language to me yeah so, yeah yeah so can you tell us about it sure Miro is a book-loving lad with a dad that works and leaves him mostly to his own devices. One day, whilst on a mission to Wilberforce and Co., a new and second-hand antiquarium, rare and nautical bookshop, he meets Sia, a kid with a camera and an insatiable curiosity. When Miro and Zia stumble upon something fishy completely by accident, they are thrust into a world of danger, intrigue and fish guts. One thing is for certain, the town is in deep danger and Miro won't be able to keep his nose in the books forever, not if, not if Zia has anything to do with it. Oh, it this, yeah, this is a real good follow-up to Malmanda and Gargantus, isn't it? Yeah. So, oh, This is funny. It. Today, Giselle was, um, she was being a lost and founder, like Herbie oh, Lemon. Yep. It was very funny. Oh. She and I'm like, but I, because I, she had it hidden in the cubby, and I'm like, but if I can't see what's lost, I don't know how to find it. She <laughs> was like, well, just tell me something you've lost. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm not sure we understand the concept of a lost and founder, but anyway. Very quirky. Anyway, back to the Inkberg Enigma. <laughs> um, were we up to overall enjoyment? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I devoured this graphic novel, which I think is high praise because I just don't have the graphic novel gene. I started reading it, then Giselle saw the cover and she was like, oh, I want to read that. And it disappeared upstairs much later that night. I found her reading by lamplight, turning pages in a rapid frenzy. And she that. loves graphic novels, so... Now, she didn't finish it that night because it is quite a lengthy graphic novel, but um, she finished it the next night, I think, and I just didn't get to read it until she was done, of course, um, and she said it was fantastic. And then I snaffled it back and I, I was not disappointed. It was it was really good. And once again, I am in complete awe of uh, anyone who can draw an entire story as well as craft just enough text not to over uh, overwhelm the illustrations, but sort of complete them. Now, the drawings have a little bit of a vintage feel to them and they were simply gripping. I had to see where the story would go. I think um, author-illustrator Jonathan King is a super talent, to be honest, and one to watch for future tales. Oh, so good to know. Yeah. So good to know. Yeah, graphic novels are huge in my house. And we did mention that we might do them. We might do a graphic novel special one day. But I just, I don't know. Well, if I, you can't get yeah. this, I am sending it in the post. Because oh, I will. I just, I just know the boys will love it. Yeah, I know they will. And I, I just don't, I don't enjoy reading graphic novels for some reason. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I need to try yeah. it, I guess. My my boys absolutely, I mean, they love um, the Amulet series, which is very popular with for their yes, age. Yes, yeah. um, And the Wings of Fire. Um, and yeah. now my joke boy, he's really into the Kane Chronicles, which is an, a graphic novel adaptation of um, Magnus Chase. Not Magnus Chase. Um, Rick, some Rick Reardon books. Yeah. Might have to look that one up. Yeah, and then he, we've also got Percy Jackson as a graphic novel. Oh, um, cool. But, you know, we also have The Hobbit and we have um, 
yeah, lots of Pokemon manga and Zelda manga, and you know, they this this is yeah. the stuff that they they read. They every love day. it, don't they, they? Yeah, they read them over and over again, and it's they will they will go off and read a novel, um, and then come back to a graphic novel in between. Yeah, yes. So, you know, I'm here. I am talking about um, you know thicker, longer middle grade. Fan, you know, fantasy and middle grade re- magical realism, and my kids are reading graphic novels. <laughs> yes, <yeah, same. laughs> you know, and I don't really talk about it much, but um, they are they're such a good stepping stone. Um, Absolutely. Uh, or even if they stay there, that's okay. Yeah, and I was going to say they they're actually amazing for um, visual literacy. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, and I the, for me that's something that. I think that's why I don't really like graphic novels because I'm not I'm just not used to looking at pictures. Me either. I, I struggle. <laughs> I said to Giselle, "How do you do this?" and she's yeah. like, "You just look at the pictures and then yep. you read the text." Yeah. And yeah. I was like, "I'm meant to know that." I'm like, "All right." Yeah. Okay. And okay. I, I think I think that comes from not for me. I don't remember reading picture books when I was a kid. And Oh, I don't either. I obviously we obviously did, but you know, like we probably stopped, at, you know, yep. two or three, and then went on to Spot and <laughs> Fairy Tales. Yeah. You know, um, whereas, you know, my Mister Nine will still read picture books every now and again, just because yeah. they're you know, they're short and there's some beautiful ones. Um, so there's, you know, this is this is a good reason to keep picture books going, but also a good reason to keep, you know, to to do the graphic novels. Yeah, um, and um, yeah, they're they're a beautiful art form in their own right. Definitely. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Apart from our kids, <laughs> who will love this book? I'd say this will suit readers of nine plus, which I can finally say, having just had another birthday in lockdown for yeah. Giselle. So yeah, okay. Yeah, right. I don't think it'd be for eight-year-olds. I, I think it might even be for ten plus because she's pretty advanced. But yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, so on to your second book. What's your second book for today? The second book is Gemma Riley and the Fashion Fiasco by Jules Van Mill, illustrated by Anne Yee, published by Pan Macmillan on July 28, 2020. Okay. Now for something completely different. Absolutely <laughs> different. <laughs> and could you share the jacket blurb with us, please? Yeah. She has a ginger cat, a sewing tote, and plenty of imagination. Can Gemma Riley catch a thief and save the fashion day? Fashion is in Gemma Riley's DNA. She lives with her grandmother, Cara Bonifate, a famous fashion designer, and dreams of creating her own collection. But there's a big trouble at the house of Bonifate. The release of the spring collection is looming. Cara has had an accident and someone is stealing their top secret designs. Ah, and what genre is this one, Jules? This is middle grade contemporary mystery in a fashion setting. Oh, <laughs> we've never had one of those before. I don't think we've ever had one of those before. <laughs> with this, we haven't had many, we were saying uh, a while, but there's not that many mystery. We haven't come across that many mystery no. middle grade contemporary, so that's good. I mean, I'm always just, you know, I'm on it like a bird on a chip. Mm. If there's a mystery in town, so that's why I took this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So word count, how'd you go with that? I'd say this is about 50K actually. Okay. That's average. And can you tell us more about it? Sure. 
Gemma is not your average everyday middle schooler. She lives with her grandmother in her fashion house. And what can I say? A kid living in a fashion house is going to live and breathe fashion. And Gemma does. She's also super inquisitive. So when things are really not adding up after they have to hire a new designer after her grandmother's unfortunate accident, it will take one sassy preteen to stave off the house of Bonifate's untimely fashion demise. Oh, I think this would have been something I would have liked as a as a kid. You actually. would have, yeah. yes. Yeah. Totally. Um, oh, enjoyment. Oh, this was a warm hug from start to finish. If I was to describe it as a cosy preteen mystery in a fashion setting, in manner of Jacqueline Harvey's Kenzie and Max or R.A. Spratt's Friday Barnes, I'm sure there will be loads of listeners who would understand. There is so much detail that goes into the running of a fashion house, which we learn along with Gemma. Being privy to all the machinations as, as all the characters, we are just totally engrossed in this the, the doings of fashion. It was, it was so fun. <laughs> um, and by the time I got to the mystery, I was so ensconced in the fashion house running, I didn't want it to actually end. Gemma was a bright and sassy protagonist who stuck to her guns and didn't give up without a fight, which of course ticked all the boxes in my books. Cozy preteen mystery is definitely my final word on this one, and I'm hoping it won't be the only Gemma adventure I get to go on. Now, Jules Van Mill is a former fashion designer, and she's obviously very passionate about getting kids into sewing and mending. There are some gorgeous vignette instructions throughout the book on how to sew different kid-free projects, as well as very useful glossary of terms about fashion. I was It was all very inspiring, and I'm hoping one day to give it a go with Giselle because um, my mum and dad have actually just recently sent her, well, purchased her a sewing machine. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, that I'm not going to be teaching her to sew, to be honest. That's going to be Nuna's job. So we can't wait for this lockdown to finish so we can go to Brisbane and she can start learning some sewing tips from Nuna. So oh. we might take that book with us, I think. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. Um, so who will love this book? What age range do you think it will be for? I think this is for confident 8- to 12-year-old readers due to its lengthy word count and also the intricacy of the mystery. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I know a 10-year-old um, who I think she's a massive Kenzie and Max fan. I think she will love this. Yeah, it's very – I think it's certainly pitched in that in that ilk. Yeah. Okay. Great. It's always good yeah. to have other recommendations, especially as uh, for girls when I don't actually have any of my own. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Um, so we have a third book, is that right? Oh, yes. <laughs> I've done the unthinkable and I've actually managed to review three books this episode. Oh, well, I can see on the running sheet what it is and I'm really glad you did because I haven't had a chance to look at this yet because my pile is so big. Oh, I know, um, the pile really is massive. Oh, my goodness me, and... It just keeps building. The kids, oh. Mom, can you order me the next book in this? Oh, okay. Oh, I, I cannot order any more books. And actually, Linda's, my sister's sending me a couple of books from Chicken House, 
which I am absolutely desperately waiting for. But oh. I'm like, how am I going to fit them in? I don't even know how you managed to read this one because I haven't had time yet. <laughs> I will very soon. But, um, yeah, one of we were reading um, the first um, The Wizards of Once by Cressida Cowell for homeschool. It's our homeschool literature book at the moment. Oh, yeah. So um, we got about halfway and then Mr. Seven went, I can't wait anymore. I've got to finish it. Oh, so, funny. He finished it that day and then he read the next book the following day and then he asked me to order the next one. So I ordered it and it, we got a local okay. delivery and then that came and he finished that one too. So now we're waiting for the fourth book to be um, released and he's he's gone back to his um, graphic novels. So um, I'm going to have to encourage him now because he's only just finished. I'm going to have to encourage him to read this one and tell me what he thinks. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, please tell our listeners which book this is. <laughs> It's Brain Freeze by Oliver Pomervan, published by Penguin Random House on September 1, 2020. So it's in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. So this is an interesting one. Can you tell us uh, the back jacket blurb? Please? Yeah. It's a crazy collection of short stories from the wacky mind of best-selling, terrific author Oliver P, featuring characters who are all finding a way to step up and be brave. Sounds like a lot of fun. Um, what genre would you classify it as? This is a middle grade contemporary com comedy compilation. <laughs> I think I've just made that genre up. <laughs> I think we're four for four today. Yes. <laughs> uh, what about word count? I'd say this is about 35,000. Okay, nice and short. It, it does seem like a nice, quick, easy read. Yep. Um, can you tell us more about it, please? Sure. Oliver P has done exactly what Maeve and Julie has been begging publishers to do for her former reluctant reader nine-year-old self. Write some funny and engaging short stories for the reluctant readers who struggle with a whole book. So I'm, you know, shouting to the universe, thank goodness. Mm. There are 12 stories in total, each with a theme of being brave, but I can tell you that Oliver P has one wacky brain. Let me share a couple of my favourites. The Ghost Rider is written in interview style from a wannabe reporter who's jealous of another kid's fame. It was priceless. Then there's Quarantine, totally, you know, written for our current situation, I'm sure. Mm. Written from the point of view of Oliver's V character, in Don't Follow V, which was such a hoot considering we are still in a global pandemic. Another favourite was the title of the book, Brain Freeze. This one had me chuckling all the way to the meat pie ending. Oh, I think, um, yeah, I think Mr Seven would love this. He's, he still loves his humour as well. So, yeah. Uh, well, so you enjoyed it. I have to say this was a breath of fresh air in a global pandemic. <laughs> Short stories without long character arcs are just a ticket for my fatigued brain, which when you think of it, global pandemic or not, for some kids that's how they feel every day when reading. And I completely loved Oliver's unique take on situations, which made each and every story so engaging. I highly recommend this as one fun-filled, brain-freezing delight, especially during this highly demoralising lockdown time. When this came into the house, Giselle snaffled it up and I could hear her chuckling within a millisecond. And for the resident nine-year-old, nine-year-old, who is one, my, she's in a massive book reading funk, 
This mm. was music to my parental ears. Yeah. Yeah. Finally it, reading again. That's awesome. And it's um it's such a difficult time for you know for authors to have books out. Oliver, I think he's actually a Melbourne. He's, yes, I think he's actually I think Melbourne. He is too, yeah. yeah. And um so I think so is Zena Freon. So, you know, they're having books come out during a pandemic and they can't even promote them. So Yeah. <sighs> let's um yeah. well, you know, we're doing our bit to to promote them so definitely you know if you're listening and um these sound even remotely interesting please please support these authors yes um, get yeah. on the pre-order and yeah get them and we, we we're going to be in lockdown for a while longer i think we so. are yeah yep. so apart from um reluctant former re, re, uh nine Maeve and julie readers, <laughs> <laughs> yes. who would who will love this book oh i think this will be great for eight to twelves and I dare say reluctant and confident readers will find this a hoot. Great. Well, that is it for our Mammoth Review episode, but don't run away because we have an utter delight coming your way. Zaina Fraylin stops by to chat with Pamela about her delicious new book, so stay tuned, folks. Please do. We'll see you next time. This just in, folks, an extra super treat, Oliver Pomervan stops in for an interview. Oliver Pomervan loves to make people laugh, whether it's on the page writing humour for kids or on stage as a stand-up comedian. He also shares his passion for writing with kids, using his experience as a primary school teacher. Oliver has performed at various comedy and writer festivals around Australia and Asia. His recent books include Don't Follow V and Natural Born Loser, and he is best known for Tyrific, Con Nerd and The Other Christie. His latest book is Brain Freeze, which was published by Penguin Books and will be out on September 1, 2020. So hi, Oliver, and welcome to Middle Grade Mavens. Hello, and thank you so much for having me on. I've, I've been a long-time fan, so it's really cool to actually be on the podcast. So, yeah. Oh, thank you so much for saying that, Oliver. We never know who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. So let's go back a little way for those listeners who are new to your books. Where did you get your start in writing? Um, so I always wanted to be a writer, um, but I went the long way around it. I did um, stand-up comedy. I did primary school teaching. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to give writing a crack. So I decided to um, quit full-time teaching, pursue writing. So um, it was just a matter of just um, doing a part-time teaching to pay the bills and then yep. um, spending a lot of time at home just uh, working on my on my manuscripts. Oh, fantastic. So your latest book is a compilation of deliciously wacky stories. Where did you get the inspiration for them? Yeah, so I've been writing short stories um, for anthologies and short story collections such as Total Crack Up and most recently, um, one in Funny Bones last year, which um, I was co-editing with. And I kept some of the better ones for myself. Oh, Thinking fantastic. that someday I'm going <laughs> to put them all into a collection and bring them out. Because um, when I was a kid, I actually was brought up on short stories. Like, you know, Paul Jennings, yep. all those unreal, quirky tale books are just fantastic. And it got me into writing because 
um, short stories. Um, the best thing about them is that it's all the best bits. You get a great ending, a really great twist, and it, you're all done and dusted, which is really cool. Yes. So yes. Um, it's always been in the, in the back of my mind. And so, you know, when Penguin was asking for a book, I said, well, what about a short story collection? And um, it just went from there. Oh, that's great. And I don't know if you if you do listen, you will know that I'm quite a reluctant reader and I love short stories because it just means I can get to the end. And I know that so many kids have such a similar experience and that they don't really feel like they can read a full book. So a short story is just a wonderful segue, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not just for readers, but also for writers as well. You know, there's a lot of writers yes. out there who who get daunted with the fact that they need to write a novel or something massive. But I just say, you can write a short story, give me 200 words, beginning, middle, and end, off you go. And I find that like once you start chunking um, stories like that, kids become more confident in their writing. And yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. So Oliver, tell us about one of your other books. Which one has been your most favourite to write so far? Um, I've got to say, for me, it's probably, um, I mean, Tyrific was my first book, so I do have yep. a soft spot for that um, because yep. it's about me as a kid growing up wanting pizza and burgers instead of um, having uh, family Thai food all the time. But uh, Con Nerd is probably the one that um, I enjoyed writing the most because it's a story um, that I went through as a kid and that I see all the time um, when when kids are kind of pressured by their parents to do something that they particularly don't want to do. Yes. And in Connor's case, um, his mum wants him to be a doctor, but he would rather be an artist. And so same thing happened to me as well when I was a kid. You know, I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to be a creative, but my mum wanted me to study hard and become like a, an accountant or a doctor or something like that. And so I yep. really had to convince my parents that I wanted to go down a different path, a path that isn't really um, well trodden by a lot of Asian Australians. And so yep. I had to sort of carve my way out there. And um, yeah, looking back, I, I'm, I'm really glad that I did. And what a great example, because I mean, the kids need to see the adults doing it, don't they? Yeah, that's right. You know, like it's, it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of, um, you know, in terms of like across the board, in terms of, of arts, you know, you always kind of respond to, to seeing someone or um, hearing someone that, that that looks like you, that sounds like you. And so I think for me, um, one of the benefits of visiting schools is the fact that a lot of kids can actually see me and go, okay, well, it, um, it, it can be done because, you know, Oliver's doing it, so I can do yeah, it as well. So, sure. Yeah. Now, I know this is a bit of a segue. I know you're a massive burger fan. Yeah. But we, we are massive Thai food fans in our house, so I'm mm. almost the opposite. You wanted the burgers. I want the Thai food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Oliver, tell us, what is your writing jam? Are you an intense plotter or is there a whole lot more seat of your pantsing going on? Um, I've got to say it depends on, on, on the book. So um, for these short stories, um, they were just basically, um, I'm, I was just, I'm, just, I'm just writing it and I'm making myself laugh and it will just go in all different crazy directions. Yep. Um, there have been books in the past where I've, I've done sort of plotting for each chapter and that, that's used as a bit of a map. Yep. Um, the book that I'm writing at the moment, which is going to come out next year, 
Yeah. Um, it's a slightly different approach, but it's probably the one that I generally use, which is I like to call it um, the first draft vomit, where you uh, basically yes. get it all out. It doesn't <laughs> matter what it is, just let it all out. And then the magic happens when you start editing yes. um, with the second or third draft. And I don't yeah. want to sort of touch, um, I guess, play upon that vomit metaphor anymore because I don't want <laughs> the image of like picking out carrots and bits out of, out of your vomit. But I think for me, um, I like having the foundation there. And once I have the skeleton of a story, whether it's just, um, you know, dot points of a chapter or if it's just like a, like a, just a, a really rough first draft, I think for me, once it's, it's when I start editing it, does the story actually start taking shape for me? So, sure. Yeah. I do something very similar. But I was talking to another author of the day who is completely a pantser. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I find that just incredible. Like, I have to know where the story's going. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Time. Yeah, because, um, you know, these days now when I do submit a book to Penguin, they do want that two-page synopsis. Yes. Uh, which isn't necessarily like um, setting concrete, but it does force you to have an ending or a possible ending. And, yeah, yeah. Which is good because sometimes I know what you feel. I, I know how you feel. Like sometimes you're just writing and you're like, you know, is this, you know, is am I one third of the way? Am I two thirds of the way? I've got, I've got no idea kind of thing. Yeah. So it's just nice I, to have a, a destination inside. Definitely. So, Oliver, it's, it's a really dreadful um, state of the world at the moment and book launches and signings being cancelled. Are you exploring other options to connect with your readers? Yeah, look, it, it has been a really crazy year and I think, um, yeah, it's it's definitely made an impact because, you know, in terms of like uh, writing for kids, the best way to actually um, talk about your book to kids is actually being there physically in schools, at festivals, conferences and, yeah. you know, I think for adults and for teenagers, they, they, they could probably... Um, sit and, and watch something online or um, go to a virtual launch or a virtual event. But I find that for kids, the best way to do it is to actually see them. And and I, f I find that um, you can hand sell a book to a kid quite easily by yep. reading the book out loud. And I, I mean, I have seen some authors do it this year where they, they have done a bit of a story time for kids. Yeah. Um, via Facebook or Instagram and um. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I find maybe it, it, it might work, I guess. But the for me, it's, um, you know, when a kid sees you at a bookstore or at a festival, they can get the book straight away. Yeah. Signed by you. And it's all part of the experience where, you know, I find that if, if a kid is watching something that's a virtual launch or a story time, are they going to go out and, and rush and rush out yeah. to the book? Or are they going to sit on and go, well, I, I might get it if I go to a library or the next yeah. time I go to a bookstore. So yeah, it's such yeah. a terrible time. It's so so very difficult. I mean, like you say, there are lots of adult launches that are happening online, and you know nobody's sort of batting an eye. But kids find that so hard. Like we're already asking them to do it at school, let alone for enjoyment. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. 
Now, I know you've said you are very active in schools in Australia. Do you have any funny school visit stories you can share with us? Um, yeah, look, there have been a couple. Like, you know, I've, I've always been mistaken for, like, other authors in the past as well, which is right. a little bit embarrassing. Like, there's many times I've, I've come in and they go, can you sign my book? And I'm like, sure. And then they'll give me, like, an Ando book. And I'm like, uh... yeah, I don't think I can. But, uh, um, but yeah, look, I've... Um, for me, some of the best stories have been the ones where I've gone out to country schools. Yeah. And um, there was this one time where I was at a school and it was it was in the afternoon and it was only like a smallish kind of school. So from K to six, it was about 40 kids and it was after lunch and it was a, a really hot day and I was doing my spew and 10 minutes into it, I'm like, you know what? Let's go for an adventure. So I got everyone to stand up. And oh, we just wow. walked outside and we just, um, I told some of the kids to take me on a tour um, around the school. And then uh, that was really great. So it was almost like an interactive um, museum um, yes. kind of tour where they, the kids show me their school. And then I will um, sort of think about my stories about my old school days and then sort of plant that into the um into the talk as well so you know oh, if they were well talking about done. the canteen then i'll talk about the canteen and yes and like that. so that was really cool um and i think that, that that's the beauty of it i think um you know thinking off the cuff and thinking on your feet is one of the few things that i love because you know i love stand-up comedy and yes um you get a lot of energy out of the audience and so some of my my funniest moments have been moments where i've made fun of something at a school or a particular object at a school and it just goes off on all different tangents so but that's yeah. probably one of the best ones I think like that's probably something that you couldn't do um at a big school yeah for, for like 600 yeah. kids but um yeah it was quite nice so I've realized my next question is a little bit similar in that I I just wanted to know have you had a time in your career where you've had a really sort of aha moment like where a readers just come up and said I connected with your book and you you know you made my day kind of thing and it made your day Yeah look I've I've been very I've been very blessed um and and grateful for receiving um whether it's 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 fan mail or emails from parents saying that you know my kid thinks books are boring never touch a book saw you at the Writers' Festival, thought you were a rock star, loved all your jokes, has started reading your book and now is, is reading. And I can give you hundreds of those kind of examples. And for me, that's that's what it's all about, you know, coming yeah. from an educator background, um, you know, having been a teacher, I know it's such a struggle to get kids to read. Like it's, it's yeah. one of the hardest things to sell. Um, and the worst thing you can do is read it. It's for your own good or, you know, <laughs> yes. read it because it's good for your education or something like yeah, that. Yeah, um, terrible. <laughs> but, you know, if you can sell the voice, if you can sell um, the, if you can sell like the story being told by someone and then they read the book, I find that, um, yeah, they will give you a go. So yeah. I think, um, yeah, those kind of emails really do keep me going because sometimes when you're cooped up writing your manuscript, you're like, well, who am I writing it for? Yeah. And it's, so it's, it's when you get um, feedback like that. Um, and, and also, like, on, on a personal level, you know, I've been to um, some of the schools I, I went to as, um, you know, they're, they're high, they've got a really high Asian Australian population. Yep. And so, you know, there, there were kids out there, like I said before, with, with Conrad, who've actually come up to me and said, oh, you know, I, I read Conrad or I read Terrific when I was a kid. 
and now I want to be a writer or, oh, you know, now so I want great. to be, um, and that's, that's awesome. Cause it's, and that, that's what it's all about to me. Like it's, it's really about inspiring the next generation and yes. getting really excited to hear the next voices coming out. So yes. And yeah. having representation in all areas, you know, in, in every, every sort of face, every kind of, yeah, um, I feel really passionate about that too, Oliver, in disability mm. as well, because I have a son who is on the autism spectrum. So mm. I'd love just hearing stories of kids coming and saying, you know, you changed my life. It's amazing. Yeah, oh, for sure. And I think, yeah, I'm the same. I'm, I'm always going to be a champion for diversity. Yes. And I'm also going to be um, a champion for um you know, a lot of my characters are, are underdogs, so yes. they're kind of like the nerds, the the ones who are left field, the ones um, who aren't really popular, don't many have many friends, and so yeah. I want to give them a voice. And so, yes. I, you know, a lot of the um, a lot of my fans are, are kind of like me when I was a kid. Like, you know, they are a little bit, a little bit weird, a little bit strange, but but they own it. Yes. And so, um, yeah. So, it, so that's really cool as well. So, oh, I love hearing that stuff. So, Oliver, it's obviously a really difficult time and you've mentioned you've got a book already in the burn, but how, how does the publishing world react to this kind of thing? Are you still sort of having deadlines and obligations or has, do you feel like it's changed or are you just steaming ahead? Yeah, you know, it, it really does depend on, um, on, on each author, I guess. Like I yeah. think um, for me personally, I find that it's just it's, it's all systems go. Yep. I think for me, the biggest impact is probably um, the promotional side of things yep. and not having festivals anymore to sort of like earmark um, yep. when a book comes out because yep. I find that um, there have been a couple of books that have been postponed till next year because yep. they coincided with a big festival or um, an event that was going to get a lot of outreach, I guess. Yeah. So... Um, you know, my, my book's still scheduled to come out next year. Um, I've, I've heard through other authors that some of their books have been postponed to make way for books that were delayed this year. Yeah, that were yeah. pushed to next year. Um, and, you know, it, it does make sense because I find that you do want to give your book the best chance of being discovered. Exactly. The best chance for the book to be to, to shine. And, um, you know, if, if a child isn't going to their local library, their school library, or even a a physical bookshop it's really hard yep. for them to actually see that book on the shelf so yeah. I do understand where they're coming from um but yeah look I, at, at the same time I find that um you know one, one of the one of the blessings of, of of this kind of period is the fact that you are getting a lot more kids reading books which is cool you yes. know it, yep. it really is the best off-screen activity um, absolutely <laughs> you know it's, it's the antidote to to all the gaming and all the screens and um, yeah yeah yep. so so that's that's really cool so I find that um yeah I think we're we're still pretty resilient and we're still pretty strong as an as an industry yeah but it, it I think that the challenge will be um especially for the kids industry just um yeah you books uh you authors like getting them a launch pad yeah. That's probably going to be a bit of a challenge, I think. So, yeah. And also, it may not have been strategic at the time, but a short story compilation is actually genius because, like, my daughter actually picked it up and was chuckling away and she's really been in a reading funk. So, because it's just so gloom and doom in the in the house. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I was very lucky that um, when I was editing the book with my editor back in May, um, 
I was able to insert, sorry, insert two extra um, short stories about the pandemic. Yes, I yeah, noticed. Yes, so, which is really cool. So, um, <laughs> yes. yeah, so it's really up to date. And so it's probably one of the first uh, published middle grade books out there that that ha- that touches a, yes. a little bit of, about what's happening in, in 2020, which is um, pretty cool. Yeah, history in the making, Oliver. How yeah, amazing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so let's segue to middle grade books in general. Have you read one book in your life that you really think every kid should have the opportunity of reading? Wow, that, that is a very tough one, I think. Like, um, because I... You know, I'm a champion for for humor books, for funny books. Yep. Um, but you know, there's there's plenty of series out there that I I feel that every kid should read. Um, uh, Emily Rodder's um, Del Toro Crest series. Sure. Yep. They're they're timeless fantasy books, and you know, if you if you're not going to um, engage a kid with 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 humor, um, you can engage uh, kids through. Almost like playing a video game, but in book form, which is, yes. which is how I describe um, the tour quest. Because Emily just she's she's just the master of building a world and that frantic pacing. Yes. Um, yep. In terms of of books that uh, um, that kids should read, um, you know, I love Miles Gleitzman, so any of his books are great. Yep. But I feel that every kid should read um, the the one series. Oh yes. Yeah, there's, there's all six books now. There's there's going to be a, a the final one coming soon. But I feel that like, you know, Morris is the master of finding the light in in any angle. So in in any topic, any any area. Yeah. And yep. so I find that you know not only will you get that out of perspective, but also you get um a pretty um yeah a, an insightful tale, I guess, of of, of what's happened in the, in the past. Beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I work in a library and I see I reshelve them a lot. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, very popular. Well, Oliver, what a delight it has been to have you on The Mavens. Um, your book, Brain Freeze, is out on September 1. Where can we find you online if our listeners are interested in checking out your books? Yeah, so you can go straight to my website, which is simply um, oliverwriter.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter um, at Oliver Winfrey, which is uh, Oliver, W-I-N-F-R-E-E. Um, yep. If you do like games, burgers, sneakers, um, <laughs> yes, then definitely come to my Instagram because that's what I basically do um, in between, um, you know, things for the books as well. So it's, yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. And yeah. don't come without an appetite. I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. I've... Don't, uh, don't. Yeah, make <laughs> sure you, um, you're nice and hungry because uh, I'm not, a lot of those burgers that I eat are just um, they're fabulous. But they yeah, are amazing. <laughs> well, thank you again, Oliver. And we we loved your book, and I hope it flies off the shelves. Thank you so much, Mavis. Thanks for having me on. Zana Freilon is an internationally acclaimed, multi-award winning author of books for children and young adults. Her work has been published in over 15 countries and is in development for both stage and screen. Welcome to the podcast, Zana. It's great to have you on. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Wow, I'm very excited because um, I really loved uh, The Lost Soul Atlas. It was one of my favourite books of the year so far, so I'm excited to talk to you about it. Hooray! So tell me, how how did this book get started? What was the original idea that sparked it? 
it was one of those really strange books that I sort of, I, I say that, you know, it was, it was never my plan to write. So I was in the middle of a completely different manuscript and I just dropped my kids at school and I was on my way home and I suddenly got this very strong image in my head of this um, sort of scruffy kid and they were holding their hands out to me and they said, come with me, I can show you how to fly. <laughs> it was one of those really weird things where I went, whoa. And then, you know, I made it home somehow. I, I can't quite remember how. <laughs> you know, I'm good thing I didn't have an accident. But um, I was, that, that was it. That was the beginning of it. And I tried very hard to fit this character into the, the manuscript I was working on. And I could tell pretty quickly that it wasn't going to work. Um, and I still couldn't get that character out of my head. And so I thought, right, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to find a way to write this character into something. Otherwise it's, it's going to haunt me forever. Um, and so that was, that was the beginning of the lost soul Atlas. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> it was, it was. And I think I sort of feel that I've got to, I've got to hold on to that moment because it's not going to happen again, is it? That's, <laughs> that's it. That's my one sort of magical moment, but oh, it was a good one. <laughs> and I'm amazed that you took it from that little image um, to what you have. I mean, you know, and I know what you're talking about come with me I can show you to fly, how to fly I know that part of the book or you know it's it's in there a few times um but the book is just so so much more than that so how did, how long did this take to 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 go from that I mean did you finish the book that you were writing and then dive straight into this one and how long did how did that go yeah I I abandoned the other book um and I you know I, I did look and see if I could go back to it but Oh, but the sort of the, the flame is has died down on that one, so I might it's it's in my drawer with my other sort of unfinished manuscripts. But um, this one, this one, it took. I'm trying to think. I mean, probably, probably from that moment to publication was um, two and a half, three years, I guess, in total. Um, and what in 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 that time, I had um, I was sort of playing around with ideas, trying to see how I could get this character to fit, and then. I had an image which I really loved. It was actually an image from um, uh, the cover of, or one of the suggested covers for the Bone Sparrow in, in the US. And it was my favorite of the covers they gave me. And it wasn't actually chosen to become the cover, but I had it in my studio because I just loved it. And it was a picture of a kid. And it always looked to me like the kid was jumping. He was jumping across like a, from rock to rock, I think. Um, but they'd drawn, the artist had drawn in sort of very, um, light wings that what you could just make out coming from his back and so those two images sort of seemed to go together and in my head the character was jumping not on from rock to rock but um, on cemetery gravestones and so I started looking into um, I think I'd also seen a documentary about um, uh, communities built up around cemeteries and graveyards and so I started looking into that sort of territory and thinking what would it be like to you know grow up in a in a city that's built around um, a graveyard or that's built within a graveyard um, and sort of exploring uh, what that would be like for the character and, and it really grew from there. Wow. It's amazing. Um, how, and how, so I mentioned in my review that um, this book is written in two, from two points of view. So you've got the third person point of view um, for the, the present, for the afterlife, you know, if you will, and the first person point of view for the memories was it difficult writing that? Was it was it difficult swapping between the two? No, it actually it made it easier, I think, to write. Um, and I actually wrote the real world sections um, or the memory sections 
uh, first off, and they were they were what I started with, and then uh, and then I wrote the Afterworld separately, and I think it helped give the Afterworld um, more of a sort of a sense of uh, that sort of folkloric sense that I was I was aiming for to to have it in third person, and it also helped give the reader a you know a visual clue and a and um, a, a reading clue as well into which section they were at as well you know whether they were in the afterlife or back in their memories yeah i've i've seen um writers asking questions in groups before you know how do i i've got these flashbacks or i've got these different time periods how do i you know notate that and it might be through a, a chapter being called the year or, or you know date or whatever um so yeah it, it's it's great to see a different approach to that it's always nice to see someone playing around with that kind of thing yeah, and I love I love playing with different ways of writing, and I love experimenting with different ways of writing as well. And so it's also just it's also just nice to you know flex your creative writing muscles in a different way. Um, yeah. So for me, it was it was it was good because it meant also if I was stuck on one section, especially in the editing, when I was going back and working on them both simultaneously, it meant if I was stuck on one, I could get my head in a completely different sort of space to um, to work on the next one. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess that you know it's it's a good idea to have done to have written it that way because I think it'd be too easy to slip into the other point of view if you're trying to write it all, um, you know, sequentially. Yeah, very possibly. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned and you mentioned before, and you also mentioned in the author's note that the situation of Twig, the main character, and the other beasts of the city, who are the the, the children that live on the streets and and in within this graveyard, they're inspired by real life. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so um, as I sort of dove into um, the situation of the the communities built in the within the graveyards, and um, I sort of before I start any project, once I know what it's going to be about or where it's set, I do quite a lot of research. Um, and so my research took me down this sort of path of looking at uh, street communities and especially uh, communities of street children who. Um, were really growing themselves up, you know. They were they were living on the streets and um, and managing, you know. And they were they were not just they were not just coping, but they were sort of um, these really resilient, courageous kids. Uh, and I was reading more and more articles about them, watching more and more documentaries, um, and it was really sort of horrifying how many street children there are in the world um, at the moment. So I think. I think I, I said there are approximately 150 million children currently living on the streets, which I had to go back and check multiple times. Yeah. So I kept thinking, I've read that number wrong. You know, that can't possibly be right. Yeah. Um, but it's such a, you know, it's one of those issues which everyone knows about and yet we don't talk about, we sort of turn away from. Um, and, you know, while that's a really strong part of the story is that these are, these are street kids that are living on the streets, they've got no help from adults, they're being you know, effectively hunted by certain groups. Um, and it's a really strong part of the story, but what I really wanted to highlight was the resilience of the kids themselves and, and how strong they are and how capable they are as well, because that was what was coming through really strongly in all my research. Yeah, and, and I totally got that from, from the story, yeah, for sure. Well, that's um, good. <laughs> and it, it's, it's heartbreaking. I mean, it's, you know, I, I was reading this kind of part fantasy you know part sort of I guess slightly dystopian um and then got to the end and then read your author's note and I was like oh yeah wow you know like that's unbelievable and thinking back to the the kids and just you know how resilient they were and, and 
how this this happens you know I was just blown away yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and did you did you do a lot of research uh, in the folklore sort of area? Um, I mean, you ha- I'm reading um, Cressida Cowell's The Wizards of Once to my boys at the moment. They absolutely love it. And there's there's a raven, talking raven in that. And I love that I was reading two books with a talking raven. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time. Um, and, you know, the raven is so symbolic um, with not only death but with wisdom as well. So did you do a lot of research into that? Um, yeah, uh, well, yes and no. I mean, I love folklore anyway, so um, it's it's something which I'm always dipping in and out of. Um, and the uh, one thing that I really found when I was, you know, I was a bit stuck with the afterlife for a while and I couldn't, it was one of those things where I was building this world where it could be absolutely anything and I had no boundaries and suddenly it became very hard to think of what it could be. So, <laughs> so sometimes, you know, too much freedom is not a good thing. So. Um, I started just putting in everything I love from all my different, um, you know, readings and, and stories and things like that. And I kept coming back to folklore and what, and what actually got me unstuck was realizing I had to make it more folkloric. Um, the Raven was always in it though. He was, he was always the, the guardian. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I love raisin Ravens. We do have a huge unkindness of Ravens that live outside our house. Um, and you know, they, they wake you up at, in the, in the morning and they're, they're, you know, croaking all throughout the day. Um, and so that was, that was probably part of it, but also there is such great folklore with ravens. Mm. So I think, um, was it Odin who had two ravens and one was, one was thought and one was memory. Um, and they're often, you know, trickster characters, but also guides. And so there was this sort of, I, I, when I knew that, Crack would be the um, guardian for Twig in the afterlife, and I started looking into the Raven mythology, and it just fits so perfectly. You know, it was it was a, a sign to go for it. It's great, and he's almost a slight trickster character as well, because he kind of there was an area where he you know just refused to help because he didn't didn't know riddles, and and you know it was quite sometimes a bit joking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had I had so much fun writing him, and in fact, he was one of those rare characters you get where they really just write themselves onto the page. So, um, I had enormous fun spending time with him. I must say, <laughs> a bit. I mean, and you know, the the, the characters of um, Twig and Flea are absolutely beautiful, but the other ones I I really enjoyed, maybe because I'm just a bit I like a bit of humour. Um, were the gods? <laughs> uh, good. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, Excellent. I you know I've never read. Gods to be so bumbling and inept. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, and that was, you know, that was again taking um, inspiration from things I love. So, you know, I love all the Greek gods and how they can be, um, you know, they can annoy each other and they can quabble and they can, you know, they're, they're not as you would see. Um, you know, they're fallible. I think that's what it is, is that they're, they're these gods, these great beings who are so fallible. Mm-hmm. So um, I really love that, that side of it as well. My two boys are um, they are really, really into Greek and Norse mythology. So they read a lot of anything that's based on those things. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite good to compare. And um, uh, my eldest son was recently into um, Magnus Chase. And I, I said to him, yep. Magnus Chase starts with main character dies on the first page. Oh, and really? Go, yeah. And, and then he goes into um, what's the, the afterlife, the, the Norse afterlife. And uh, so, yeah, we were talking about that, the similarities with that. Here I thought I was being original. (laughs) Very different. Good company to be in. Good company that I'm happy to sit alongside. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. 
you know, similar but different different audience. I think it's all you know different sort of target at the same time. But um, yeah, it's nice to see those those similarities. Um, so now I know you're in Melbourne. Um, how has the experience been of releasing a book during the pandemic compared to your previous books? It's been very very strange. So I know that it was in the window of readings for a while, but right. you know. No one was allowed out to see it. So <laughs> um, it's very odd and I can't get any sort of sense of how it's doing out in the world if, you know, it's in anyone's hands. You know, I had these great um, plans before the pandemic hit of uh, we were going to have beautiful proof copies and I'd planned to, you know, go around, I'd mapped out all the local bookstores book and sort of thought, okay, within a day, how many can I get to to hand deliver these proof copies to um, to booksellers and uh, it was you know we, in the end we ended up with just digital proofs because that was the only way you could get things in people's hands so it's it's very different to um, how it was going to be and how we'd planned and uh, you know festivals and school visits and all that sort of stuff um, have gone out the window some of some have gone become digital but uh, not all of them so yeah. it, it is a weird it's a weird time yeah well hopefully you'll get a chance to race around them and, and sign a few copies of each store. Let's yeah, see. that's right. Otherwise I'll be buying, you know, book plate stickers and signing them and, <laughs> and sending them off or something. Yeah. I've seen a few. When they let us yeah. 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 It's a nice idea. Yeah. And it's well, also, I mean, as an author, you want to, you want to be saying thank you to the booksellers and librarians and, you know, all the industry people who make it happen. Um, and it's sort of, it's, it's weird not being able to do that. Yeah, and, and they're doing such a great job. They're really trying hard to get books into people's hands. It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? And it's so um, it's so lovely to see. I mean, you know, Lisa at Little Book Room and she's she's teamed up with Yarra Libraries to deliver books to, to kids in lockdown and, you know, things like that. We've got such a beautiful community of um, yeah. authors, kids' authors and just, well, other authors as well. But yeah. here it's lovely. Yeah, yeah it is. We've, we've our local indie um, Ben's Books um they've been hand delivering and we've had a couple of those as well. So it's been really nice. Yeah. Great. Um, so, and, Silver and linings. <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> we have to, well, I have heard that book sales for children's books are doing quite well, are doing very well um, because, Excellent. you know, what else are they going to do really? Um, yeah, that's right. That's so, right. Yeah. So hopefully yep. um, it's, you know, it keeps the industry going until we can get back to, to regular programming. Um, and just on that note as well, you know, are you able to be creative right now in, in lockdown town, as I call it? Because um, I know, including myself. <laughs> lockdown town, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it feels like it's Groundhog Day in lockdown town. Um, yes. You know, I know many creatives are finding it difficult at the moment. So how are you going with that? Uh, the first lockdown, I was um, very creative. I sort of felt almost invigorated by it. I don't know. I think it was almost a sense of, well, we're locked in, but you know, we're going to make the best of it. it. It went hand in hand with all the extra baking we were doing and, oh, and yeah. everything, you know, all that, all that craziness. So we bought a, a massive puzzle, which has still maybe had 10 pieces put together and <laughs> seen on the, the kitchen table for months now. Um, so I think it's that, that kind of headspace. Whereas this second lockdown, um, I found it very difficult to get into writing um, and really to get into anything. I'm still going through the motions and uh, coming up to my studio space and, um, you know, getting some words on the page, but there certainly isn't that sort of same 
feeling of um, energy that was there in the in the first lockdown. Um, yeah, I'm also the other thing I'm doing though is is I'm allowing myself to spend a lot more time reading, and that's that's one of the things which you know it, it's I think partly because it's such a pleasurable activity, it feels like it's not work. But if you're working in the industry, then you need to give yourself time to read and read the books you love. So um, the morning. You know, if I'm if I can't be writing, then then I make sure that I'm I'm reading instead. So that's that's lovely. That's yeah. another silver lining. Yeah, I I try and tell myself that you know, even though it's not paid work, it's still work when I'm reading. <laughs> yeah, okay. absolutely. It's okay to yeah, sit the, in the sun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's you know, if, uh, as a as an author or someone who who writes, it's it's all part of your your research and your education, isn't it? It's um, what was it? I think Robert McFarlane who said every hour spent reading is an hour spent learning to write, and I was, I love that. Yeah. It's like yeah, good. yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah, um, yeah, and and. Yeah, and it's self-care as well. I mean, to, to get out. Absolutely. The days that we've got a little bit of sunshine, to be able to go out and sit out with a book, it's just beautiful. Absolutely. So, um, Zana, are you ready for our six quick questions? I've got six questions I'm going to rapid fire at you. Oh, my God. Okay, sure. Go for it. <laughs> Easy peasy. I'm, I'm now worried. The way you said that, it's, it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope not. Um, keyboard <laughs> or pen and paper? Okay, this is easy. Um, pen and paper for note-taking and uh, keyboard for actually writing. Yeah. Uh, Favourite writing snack? Oh, chocolate. Nice. <laughs> tea or coffee? Coffee. Oh, and tea. <laughs> okay. okay, I'll allow that. Uh, e-book yeah. or real thing? Real thing. Cats or dogs? Dogs. And comedy or tragedy? Mm. Oh, mm, mm. a bit of both comedy go comedy oh. ding 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 <laughs> you, got every, you got every answer correct no you're a woman after my own heart <laughs> can, you, can you tell that i'm terrible at making decisions <laughs> well you know you've made some good decisions with your book so if, if that's you know if that's where you that all goes to that's fine exactly, exactly. Uh, and so where can our listeners find you if they want to find out more Zana? Uh, you can go to my website, which is www.zanafraylon.com. I am also on Twitter and Instagram at Zana Freylon. Um, and generally just out and about. Well, I'm not out and about, are we? I'm in lockdown town, but otherwise. <laughs> one day. <laughs> one day we'll be out and about again. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Zana. It's been a real pleasure and I hope the book sales go well despite lockdown. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a joy to talk books with, with someone again. It's lovely. <laughs> I completely understand. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for stopping by Middle Grade Mavens. If you'd like to know more about the Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com or to find Julie online, stop by julieandgrassobooks.com. And to find Pamela, stop by www.ueckerman.net.